0: That music means your next hour is going to be about connection. Welcome to This Show Is All About You, a show dedicated to discussing and experiencing the things we all have in common, when you and me become we and explore what it means for all of us. Here's your host, historian, writer, social commentator, and a whole lot of other things, JDK Winnekin.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of This Show is All About You. Thanks so much for taking the next hour to spend with me as we go all around and talk about various things uh, and hopefully dig deeper into them than we often get a chance to, and hopefully reflect then on what that might mean for us and how we go forward with ourselves and with each other in an increasingly, it seems oftentimes, increasingly tense world. So uh, anyway, thanks for uh, jumping in. And certainly if uh, you're listening live, thank you so much for doing so. Uh, If you're listening as a podcast, and you can get this wherever you find your podcasts, thank you for doing that too. Thank you for subscribing and for leaving me a review. I really appreciate it. You can also reach out to me directly at my website, which is wordsbyjdk.com, where you can find original writing as well as uh, episodes of this show and uh, a lot more. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just look up my last name, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N, and you'll find me quite easily. Would love to hear from you. I'd like to thank this show's sponsor, Airway Science for Kids. You can find out more about them at airsci.org, and they help underserved youth find life and career pathways uh, using the magic and wonder of aviation and aerospace. And they do so in a an incredibly holistic healthy, vibrant, and creative way. So you'll be hearing more about them during the show breaks, uh, but you should check them out at your earliest convenience. So thanks to them for their continued support. Well, certainly it's been um, really an intense few weeks on this show. I've had uh, people come in to talk about relief in Ukraine, and we last week spent a lot of time talking about um, a lot of the disturbing rhetoric and actions that came out of uh, the responses to the FBI raid on the Mar-a-Lago uh homestead of former president trump and uh of course there's always more to focus on there but we're going to take a little bit of a lighter turn today but i always start every show by taking a look at the news in a segment i call what in the world is going on so i will not disappoint you here we go
0: explosions rocking the skies over russian-occupied crimea The local governor says Crimea's air defenses were activated again overnight after a suspected Ukrainian drone targeted Russia's Black Sea Naval headquarters. President Zelensky predicting Crimea will soon be liberated. He says you can literally feel it in the air. But as fierce fighting continues across the south and east, Ukrainians still fearing nuclear catastrophe with new reports of shelling near two nuclear power plants.
1: And of course, the war between Russia and Ukraine continues on and uh, such a strange uh, few weeks in terms of how things have gone. Uh, Don't know if President Zelensky is correct in that Crimea is about to be liberated. Uh, However, it is clear that uh, Ukraine has found a number of ways to extend this war beyond just being fought in their own territory and increasingly behind Russian lines. And the fact that For example, uh, half of Russia's Black Sea Fleet Air Force has been wiped out by sabotage attacks in the last couple of weeks is significant. The fact that their naval headquarters can be targeted by a drone is significant and that munition depots and the like are exploding well behind uh, the front lines of the conflict shows uh, that Russia cannot just simply fight on the front line. It has to be aware of increasingly what's going on uh, in the rear, the rear echelon. On top of that, they still have all the problems with troop morale and logistics and supply and, of course, the effects that sanctions are having on their economy. It's hard to know exactly what the costs have been here. Ukraine said last week that they estimate that almost 45,000 Russian troops have been killed so far. Hard to know if that's actually uh, the the real number or not. If it is, that's an incredible amount for a war that has uh, gone on for six months. And yet more, will, more more Russians will probably continue to die in all this. Another U.S. military aid package was sent on its way last week uh, that includes drones, anti-mine vehicles, and a whole bunch of other uh, logistical equipment to help the Ukrainian army. And there are signs that in Russia this is starting to have uh, an impact socially. One of Vladimir Putin's closest confidants, uh, his daughter, was killed in a car bombing in Moscow just a couple of days ago. The immediate blame went to Ukraine, as one would expect. However, given the nature of Russian politics and the internal divisions uh, within it that already existed, and have only been exacerbated by Russia's failures in Ukraine, it's in, in Ukraine. It's entirely possible that this was Russian on Russian violence. No one really knows for sure. But what all of this suggests together is, as the war increasingly comes home to Russia instead of just being fought in Ukraine. This puts more pressure on Vladimir Putin and those around him to respond in some way that uh, they think can either turn the tide or perhaps more likely disguise the fact that they're losing as badly as they are. Now, again, the only question that comes into this is how many people will die needlessly as a result of whatever those responses will be. But certainly things increasingly look grim for Russia's prospects of victory in Ukraine and uh, closer to home. Had some, had another development that I thought that was interesting this week.
0: The CDC is planning a major overhaul of how that agency operates. The agency has faced a lot of criticism in the last two years. First, in the response to the COVID pandemic and now to the monkeypox outbreak. Now, CDC director Rochelle Walensky says she wants the agency to do a few things in particular. Hold itself more accountable. Speak about public health issues in plain English and share
1: more scientific findings more quickly. All of it to help the agency prepare for future public health emergencies. I thought this was such an interesting thing for the CDC to do, and actually, I welcome it. Not because I was one of those who was overly critical of the CDC over the last couple of years, uh, but because it was clearly something that I think they needed to acknowledge that their, particularly their messaging during uh, the COVID pandemic, had some problems. As in particular, I think uh, I think it's worth lauding. Organizations like this, when they acknowledge that they've made mistakes and that they want to do things differently, what they aren't saying that they're going to do, uh, that likely they are, is internally reassess how they are going to respond and handle political pressure and public pressure, both of which they were hit with in in an exorbitant amount, an unprecedented amount over the last couple of years because of the extent of the pandemic, as well as how politicized it became very, very quickly In the process. I think these types of reassessments are a good thing. And I wish more organizations were willing to do them uh, and be public about it. It helps for them to acknowledge their shortcomings, to try new approaches, especially in making things easier to understand. I think there's a longer game that the CDC and that all of us can be a part of in articulating very clearly what science is (laughs) and how the scientific method goes, that it isn't always about they're 100 percent certain on this It's that studies indicate something and that more studies can change those conclusions or strengthen them, that we go with the best of what we know at any given time. Part of the problem the CDC had with the COVID outbreak was they were behind schedule in terms of understanding what COVID-19 was about, in terms of understanding the processes uh, in which they needed to respond to this when it hit a pandemic level. All of those things had them flat-footed from the very beginning and so I think a lot of this reform will be how do they prevent themselves from being flat footed again, because they do need to regain some level of uh, public confidence. And what we can do as the public is give them the opportunity to do so and continue to support facts <laughs> against lies. All right. And then one more clip today uh, that's going to give us a hint on what we're going to talk about today, and something a lot more fun than what just I just talked about. Let's take a
0: look. Che the batter, and he ropes one to right, back toward the wall, and it rolls all the way to the fence. Back-to-back doubles, and that caps a Chinese Taipei winner. Driven to center field, caught tagging, long throw, good throw, safe at the plate. We are tied at seven. Ball on the ground, a short, hard hit, race to second, throw to first. That's hot. Is coming. There's no play.
1: Indiana will win. Ah, some of my favorite sounds. Uh, and you might be surprised if, if you were thinking those were Major League uh, Baseball highlights. They were not. Those were highlights from the ongoing Little League World Series that is currently going on in Williamsport, Pennsylvania in its 75th year, actually. And it is one of the most watched events on ESPN during the summer months. Uh, because it literally is a world championship for Little League Baseball. Those are 10- to 12-year-olds who are getting the royal treatment, if you will, of having their games broadcast on national international TV. Uh, and they've gone through tournaments all summer, uh, all the way up to regionals. They've won their state championships and the like. And this is truly a world championship tournament. And I think one of the reasons why it is so watched is because – you have a sport that even though it has major leagues and it makes billions of dollars worldwide every year, you have a bunch of 10- and 12-year-olds playing for nothing, <laughs> for nothing other than the love of the game. And so what we're going to talk about today is baseball, actually. And before you go, oh, roll your eyes, or <laughs> like Eric in the studio is <laughs> not a big fan of baseball, or you're like, yes, let's talk about baseball. and us dig into the nitty-gritty. Well, I've got news for both camps here. This is really can really be about whatever it is that you might love as much as I love baseball. I think we can certainly talk about the things we love in in similar ways, and I'm going to talk about today. But I do want to talk about this in part because the Little League World Series is going on. I think it is one of the most pure expressions of of why people love baseball that that can happen in any given year. It's also summertime, and for me, summertime means baseball time. And I've said on this show before that, there are few places in the world where I'm happier than in a ballpark watching a baseball game. And I don't care if it's a major league baseball park with 50,000 people in the stands or a little league game with 50 people in the stands. I just enjoy the game for lots of reasons. And it's got a, a deep history with me, a deep history in this country and around the world. And I'm aware it's not the only thing. So what I would encourage everybody as as you listen to this and you hear a little bit about uh, what we're going to talk about with baseball Be thinking about what it might be that you love just as much and why and what that might say, not just about you, but about uh, about us as people, because I think the popularity of things or the things that we love, we connect to them because in some way they give us something in life. They reflect something about life back to us. And I think they inspire us to perhaps be at our best and wonder what the best of us might be. Certainly, there are plenty of things that can uh, we can talk about that bring out the worst in us. And sometimes the things we love can bring out the worst in us, too. However, I'd like to kind of stay on the more positive side of things. So so I consider this my pitch to you today, not necessarily just why I think you could love baseball. And I think it would be great if you did. Uh, but really about the love of something and why we connect with it in the first place. it would be interesting to see what you think about it. So let's talk a little bit about that. Right out of the gate. Uh, why baseball for me? Well, I can certainly give you a number of reasons why I love baseball. And, and as with so many things, it goes back to childhood. I played it as a kid. Now, I also played soccer as a kid. And I enjoy soccer uh, as much, uh, very much as well. In fact, I enjoy a lot of different sports. But baseball for me was the first sport that I really, really loved. And when people asked me about why I love it so much... Well, first of all, for me, it was the first sport I played as a kid. I played t-ball first time as a kid. And what I loved about that, I lived in Hawaii at the time, and I was at a different school than a lot of my other friends. Just my friends lived in different parts of the town I was in, and so they went to different schools. And so I went to my own school, and while I had friends there, my closest friends were elsewhere. But I got to be on their t-ball team, all the same friends. We got to be on that team, and then we all— Played baseball as we moved into baseball. We learned the game together. So for me, initially, the draw was I got to spend time with my friends. Plus, I got to swing a bat at a ball. I <laughs> mean, come on. I wasn't allowed to swing things in the house because I'd break something. So I could be outside and learn how to do that. So being around my friends was was the first thing. And I remember learning skills and learning the excitement of accomplishing something. Baseball is a game that demands a lot of practice and a lot of attention and a lot of hand eye coordination, but that takes kind of refining over time. And I still remember the joy when I sit and think about it. I still remember the joy of finally learning how to hit a ball off a tee when I was a little kid. I don't remember the exact moment, I don't remember the first time I did it. What I remember is the joy I felt when I actually did it. And then you get to run to first base, run to second base. The fun of getting to step on home plate, knowing you scored a run for your team, that was fantastic. And then I remember also the joy I felt the first time that I hit a ball that a pitcher threw to me, right in you know both in practice and in a game. First time I didn't have to use a tee. <laughs> I remember the first home run I hit. I was in third grade, and um, and wow, did I connect with it when when ball players say you just kind of know when you hit a baseball that you've hit it out of the park. It's really true. And I hit it for the first time, and it was in front of all my friends who were on the team. My family was watching, and I remember my mom jumping up and down. She was so excited because I didn't hit home runs very often. I was what they call in baseball a contact hitter, meaning if I was going to get a hit, it was going to be a single or a double or something like that, very rarely a home run. So when I hit one, it was a pretty big life moment. I remember the visuals. I remember exactly where it landed. It landed in dead center field. So I didn't just hit it, I hit it to the deepest part of the park. And that was a huge, huge accomplishment. And for a kid like me who struggled with confidence in a lot of ways and was very shy and very sensitive and sometimes could lash out at other people as a result, to come back to the dugout and have all my friends excited and cheering me on was a really big deal. And they did that all the time, even when I struck out or grounded out or made an error. Part of being on that team was you supported one another and you recognized that any of you at any time could hit a home run or strike out or make an error. And there was something deeper in all of that. Even though I wasn't aware I was learning life lessons at the time, those turned out to be some really important life lessons from the outset. All right. So be thinking for you, what was, what was that for you? If it wasn't baseball, what was it? And you think on that and we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We'll talk a little bit more about why baseball is life on this show is all about you. Come on back.
0: kids never have trouble dreaming about their future, the challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in-person and virtual programs Along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airsci.org. That's AIRSCI.org, or email info at airsci.org. Airway Science for Kids. Providing aerospace for all.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you. And I got a little extra bounce in my step today because talking about baseball, but really we're talking about the things that we love, that maybe we've loved all our lives, that we're fans of, and why that matters and and why they're important to us and what we can learn from them and maybe could learn from trying them out if it's something that uh, we haven't been a fan of before for me, it's baseball. This is the time of year for baseball. Little League World Series is going on. The playoff races in Major League Baseball are starting to heat up. And for the first time in a long time here in Seattle, my team is actually in the mix for maybe making the playoffs, and so I'm also excited about that. But we're talking about baseball in general. And and before the break, I was talking about my initial connections to it. And certainly when we talk about baseball, and oftentimes with my friends who bring up baseball who aren't fans, they talk about oftentimes the problems, the real problems that can exist in the major league level of the sport. And it can exist actually at all levels. But at the major league level, salaries are massive. Right, There are people you know making hundreds of millions of dollars playing baseball. And there are plenty of people who ask, why is that? Why are they making more money when teachers don't make anything? And, and I understand all of those questions. Uh, it can cost a lot to go to games and to buy food and to take your family there. So that can be a, um, a disincentive to go Certainly, there have been scandals over, over drug use and cheating in the sport over the last handful of years. There, of course, is also the over-identification with one's team successes or failures. Uh, that can be a problem in any sport. And certainly, even in youth sports, we've all heard the stories or even seen them, unfortunately, of uh, parents gone amok right, in overreacting to what's going on in youth sports. Major League Baseball has had uh, an abysmal record also lately of of, of treating its minor leaguers uh, very poorly, not paying them very much and not giving them adequate housing and it's 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 rough. Every sport has that, and so i'm I'm not denying that those aren't issues, and they're really important issues uh, to address. But in terms of love of the game, right, this is sort of what I'm focusing on here. And baseball, one of the reasons why I think it it resonates. Uh, with a lot of people, in part is because it has such a deep history. And in the United States, you can really put baseball's history side by side with larger developments in American history and really see how they feed one another. It's no longer the case now. I would say that football, both the NFL version and college football, are probably the biggest sports in this country now. But baseball was, for decades, uh, over a century, considered America's game. And it was a game that everybody followed. And everybody played. You could, Not only did you have the major league teams uh, in various areas around the country, initially in the eastern portion of the country and in the 1950s when the Dodgers and the Giants moved from New York to the West Coast, it truly became a national game at the professional level. But for years prior to that, there were leagues of all kinds. Not only was there the major leagues, which was the upper echelon. But for years up until uh, the late 1940s, early 1950s, there were the Negro Leagues because, of course, Major League Baseball did not allow players of color to play Major League Baseball until Jackie Robinson in 1948. But you had a number of those leagues that existed. You had independent leagues in various regions that played one another. Every town had a baseball diamond in it, at least one. You you could also have, uh, back in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, Uh, industries or uh, employers in various towns would sponsor their own team. So the local dairy, right, could play against the local lumberyard, and that would draw everybody out uh, to watch the game. It was a part of larger civic identity uh, in the United States. And so it was something that all you really needed was a ball, (laughs) a stick, and maybe something to catch with. You know, maybe you had to put some together. You hear stories of kids playing stickball in the streets of New York City, and they would just wrap up a bunch of yarn, wrap it in a rag, hit it with a stick, and oftentimes putting cardboard around their hands, maybe tying it with twine uh, to do that. You hear about kids in the Dominican Republic today taking milk cartons and fashioning those into gloves that they can use and using sticks and balls like that. So it doesn't take much. And then you just need some space right, in which to, in which to hopefully build a diamond or some kind of structure to do that. So anybody could do it. Just about anywhere. And nowadays, of course, it's played in more places than in just the United States. It may not be uh, America's game, but it is certainly, for example, Japan's game. That is their number one sport in Japan. Japan, uh, The United States introduced baseball into Japan in the 1880s, actually. And it quickly became immensely popular there. uh, And it still is. It's actually on my bucket list uh, to go to Japan and go to a, a Japanese baseball game. Mainly because it's such a different fan experience. The the experience here in the states tends to be pretty reserved, pretty relaxed, whereas in Japan they're beating drums, chanting, cheering, uh, more like a more like a European soccer match than anything else. And I want to experience that. So it's very popular there. It's certainly, perhaps, the most popular game in Latin America. And a lot of the uh, most successful major leaguers of late have come from Latin America, from places like uh, Venezuela, the Dominican Republic, and Puerto Rico and Mexico, and elsewhere. There, it's uh, just as popular now, kind of going through its own similar situation that baseball was going in, 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, where it was everywhere, where people were following it, and local communities were creating teams and playing against one another. There's something about that that can tie us together when it's something that we see everywhere we go. And there's a bit of a renaissance going on in the United States. Uh, For a long time, baseball moved into the suburbs, and fewer and fewer people were playing it uh, in cities, and there was a lot of different reasons for that, Major League Baseball has started an initiative called the RBI Initiative to uh, create more diamonds in places that haven't had them, particularly in underserved communities, and that has been quite successful. Major League Baseball teams have been building academies uh, in Dominican Republic and other countries to uh, help uh, kids in the area learn how to play, and then for them, of course, to find the future players to come into major league baseball. And there's a number of players uh, playing at the highest levels of major league baseball that came out of those academies. So this is something that exists more and more places around the world. And what's fun about the little league world series, which you heard a little bit about before is you have teams coming from literally all over the world, Chinese, Taipei, Japan, uh, all parts of the country, including Hawaii of the United States, uh, Israel, Italy, uh, the Netherlands, the Caribbean, Latin America, they all send teams and they all spend a week and a half together. All these teams getting to know one another, staying in the same bunk areas, playing ping pong with one another, going to a major league game together. They get a chance to meet people from all around the world in ways that oftentimes they wouldn't necessarily get to if it wasn't for baseball. And so I, th- I like that part of it as well. They can draw anybody in. So. How is baseball then a lot like life? Well, there's lots of things we can talk about. First of all, uh, it's untimed, right? There's no sh- there's no clock in baseball, right? Average games in Major League Baseball are just under three hours, and a lot of people think that's really long. I will, I personally will never understand that because when I'm in a baseball game, the longer it goes, uh, the longer I get to be there, and the less time I have to spend being somewhere else that I don't want to be doing something that maybe I don't want to do. So I don't understand that part. However, Uh, it is untimed a game, depending on how it goes, can end in an hour and a half. Sometimes it can go much longer than that. And life is like that. Sometimes it moves fast. Sometimes it moves slow and like life. It can, it requires patience. It is a sport that when you just look at it, it looks like a bunch of people standing around. And the only action happens to be between the pitcher and the batter. When the pitcher throws the ball and the batter tries to hit it, knock it into play. But as you learn more about the game and you recognize that there's activity and thought and thinking and preparation going on among all the players on on the field and there are 9 out on the field at any given time playing all those positions you can you can start to see that there is a strategy and there is always communication going on between all those players because as they get to know the batters for example they learn where the batters tend to like to hit they watch where his or her feet are what direction are they seemingly wanting to go and they respond Accordingly, And as you're watching the game, if you know what to look for, you can see all of that in play. So, and sometimes life is like that. It feels like a lot of sitting around punctuated by action and drama or something like that. It really is a sport that requires both sides of our brains to be successful. What I love about baseball is that it is equal part science and equal part art. <laughs> Uh, no two players are alike. You can be a successful ball player, um, being five foot ten, five foot eleven, who is really fast, knows how to hit for contact rather than trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark, uh, and is great on defense. You can be a really successful player if what you do a lot is you strike out a lot, but you also hit a lot of home runs. You can be a really successful player. You can be a really successful player if you're a starting pitcher with dominant stuff who only pitches every fifth day because they rotate pitchers through as starters. You can be a really good player that way. You can also be a really good player as a relief pitcher who comes in in really stressful situations late in the game to save the game for your team. Maybe you're coming in with the bases loaded and your, game, your team's up by one, and it's up to you whether you your team wins the game or loses the game. All those types of players have long existed in baseball and will continue to exist in baseball and everything in between. It doesn't require one type of skill set to be successful. And I love that about the sport. And in a lot of ways, I think it has more of that variety to it and more of those possibilities than a lot of other sports. And it's just like in life. it does. We all do not need to have the same skill set. The best major league players out there, whatever their skill set might be, also have something else in common. The best ones know exactly where their skill sets aren't (laughs) and they know how to rely on their teammates to pick up the slack and provide those other things. There's also baseball is a lot like life in that it's a broad, even though that it is individual based on individual competition, a pitcher versus a batter, it's all about teamwork, right? A, and it takes a lot of practice and attention to detail. It takes a, Uh, The ability of a player to always have the big picture in mind of what's happening in the game, but also the focus to be right in the moment, whether that's the batter, whether that's the pitcher, whether that's the person out in the field looking to make a defensive play. It requires them at their best to be right where they are at any given moment, trust one another to do their jobs in their spots, and trust that everyone has been preparing themselves to the best of their ability and then to hold each other accountable when maybe they haven't. I and mean, we can pick that. You can I mean there's teamwork of any kind, whether we're talking about teamwork in the workplace, teamwork on a sports team, teamwork in just civilization continuing forward without destroying itself, you pick something, but the lessons are there. It's also a really humbling sport. <laughs> really humbling. The best batters in baseball history, the ones that go into the Hall of Fame uh, bat pretty much for a 300 batting average or so. Right? That's not a hard and fast rule, but that means out of all the ten out of ten times they go to bat throughout their career, three times out of those ten they got hits. Which means the majority of time, even the best players aren't finding what is defined as success on the ball field. At least when it comes to batting, the best pitchers. They go out there and have uh, earned run averages where they only give up an average of one or two runs per nine innings game. Sometimes they get absolutely shelled. Some days they just don't have it. And their pitches don't break the way they want. Or they don't hit the locations they want to hit. And the hitters beat them up. There are days like that. It is a humbling sport even for the best of them. And the best players in baseball go into slumps and have to take a look at what they're doing. And maybe they've gotten into some bad habits that they need to address. And then it takes time to get out of it. Right? It's just like for any of us, right? It's it, those things continually come up and they are just part of life or in this case, part of the game. And of course, life can feel oftentimes like a lot of drudgery and kind of waiting around for things to happen. And yet baseball shows that when things happen, What either happened or the response to what happens comes from all the time of preparing, paying attention, being present in the moment, not treating the moment as anything bigger or smaller than what it is and responding effectively to it. To me, that has proven to be a recipe for um, a much better approach to life right? than being distracted from what it is that I'm doing or not investing in what I'm doing or just assuming that because this moment happens to be, quote unquote, not so exciting, that it means it isn't important and it isn't part of some larger trend or larger development. There's also a great mantra in baseball that says you shouldn't get too high when you win and you shouldn't get too low when you lose. Part of that is because there are a lot of games in baseball. The major league baseball season is 162 games long, which means uh, if your team won today, you can feel great about it, but they're going to play again the next day and they might lose. <laughs> It also means if your team lost today, you can be upset about it and bummed out about it, but they're going to play again. Chances are tomorrow or pretty soon and have a chance to win again. To me, that's a really good life mantra. (laughs) The the losses that we have don't have to be any bigger than we make them, nor do the wins need to be bigger (laughs) or smaller, frankly, than we want to make them. And so it requires presence and recognizing that there are going to be many opportunities. In fact, out of those 162 games, this is really interesting. Most baseball people will tell you, and baseball teams plan for this, that every team is probably going to win 50 games in a given season. And every team is going to lose 50 games in a season. And so out of 162 games, 100, for the most part, are already spoken for. It's those other 62 games where the difference between those who are going to be at the bottom of the league and not make the playoffs and those who are going to go to the playoffs and maybe win the championship, that's where that dividing line is. Nobody loses every game in baseball. Nobody wins every game in baseball. And there isn't the expectation either way. And what a great way to approach life. <laughs> right? That we're not going to win every single game, and we don't have to because that's just not realistic. We're going to win every conflict we have or win every competition we're also not going to lose every single one either and if that sounds pine the sky to you i'm not so sure it is because i think about it quite often when i'm at the ballpark about how really in a lot of ways the expectations we put on things determine more of our attitudes towards them or our emotional responses to them than just about anything else And what i love about the long baseball season is it has plenty of room for winning plenty of room for losing and a lot for the in between and to me that's beautiful and i love that it also requires presence really if you want to enjoy it as a fan going to a ball game is really fun for baseball because it tends to be much more relaxed than you would find at a football game or a hockey game or even a basketball game and those those are all fun too believe me i love a good raucous hockey crowd. <laughs> you know, I love that experience too. Uh, but baseball crowds tend to be very much calmer, You can have more conversations. Yes, there's not as much quote-unquote going on. So between pitches or, you know, there's visits to the pitcher's mount or between innings as the teams are changing over between defense and offense, you have time to talk to people next to you. And what I love about sports in general, but I really see with baseball in particular, is whatever divisions we might have or differences we might have, when you're in a crowd that's at a ball game, you're all there for the same reason. And all those other things for a couple of hours, for the most part, don't really matter. You can talk about the thing that you're all there about, even with opposing fans. Now, some opposing fans are obnoxious on an individual level. And I would say <laughs> more so than others on a group level, not singling anybody out except for Yankees fans and Red Sox fans. However, really, for the most part, can have great conversations with opposing fans, team uh, fans of opposing teams at the ballpark, in ways that you can't always uh, at other sporting events, and I enjoy that too. So what, whatever you have in common, whatever you don't have in common, for that short period of time, you can connect with another human being, and if you can connect with another human being over that experience, it suggests that you can connect with uh, with other human beings who you might disagree with on a number of other levels as well. All right, so kind of laying out my case here. Uh, And I've got more to say about it. Um, So be thinking about it again. If it's not baseball for you, what is it and why? And how, if you had an hour to sit and have an audience, how would you talk about the thing that you love uh, to an audience and how it's like life to get them perhaps interested in it? Be thinking about that, and then we'll come back in just a minute uh, to finish up this episode of This Show is All About You. Stick around.
0: I'm Julia Cannell, Executive Director of Airway Science for Kids. We sponsor this show Is All About You because it exemplifies our core values: connectivity, communication, emotional intelligence, positivity, respect, and the power of possibility. Help us introduce historically excluded youth to all of these through the wonder and promise of aviation and aerospace careers, Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace to all. Visit Airside.org to learn more and to contribute your talents. Don't Ask Me to Talk. Don't Ask Me to Talk is a program about sharing something good. Hosted by me, Stacey Heller, with my co-host and my mom's favorite, Eric Ryder. Don't Ask Me to Talk echoes what we're talking about when we aren't being so serious. We'll highlight what's good to watch, read, see, listen to, and more. With a reoccurring spot with Vance Dingfelder of Dingfelder's Delicatessen called What Are We Eating? Tune in Thursdays from 3 to 4 on AM 880 K-I-X-I.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you. We're talking about baseball today uh, because it's one of the things that I love that I really think is has a lot of life lessons to it. And uh, hopefully you're getting a lot out of that, even if you're not a baseball fan. And uh, because we all have something that we love that we think uh, says a lot about life might actually be one of the main reasons why we really love it, because we connect with it and learn larger lessons that go just beyond whatever it might be, whether it's a sport or some other activity. And I left off talking about how nice it is to be in a, in a baseball crowd and, and the ability uh, to connect with others. And there's, there's a lot to that. You know. And I, when I travel to uh, different cities uh, during baseball season, one of the first things that I do is I want to see if the local baseball team is playing, whether it's a major league team or a minor league team or if I can find a ball game to go to just because there is something about that intentionality of going and everybody there for the same reason that I think can kind of help at least helps me put my guard down. I can go enjoy, I can go sit, I can go appreciate the game. And, you know, I've talked in, in other avenues before and other, other places about how I once was one of those people who I over identified with my teams and I sort of lived and died with them, as they say, uh, that my day could be could be made if they won, uh, could be ruined if they lost. And it wasn't just in baseball. It could be in, in just about anything else. And a number of years ago, probably about eight or nine now, um, <laughs> I hit a wall with that in that, uh, you know, my my favorite football team won the Super Bowl. First time they'd ever won it. And I'd been such a basket case through the whole season and playoffs that as soon as they won, I was more relieved than, than excited. And the next day, I woke up with pneumonia. I missed the parade. And I decided after that that I needed to reestablish and reevaluate my relationship <clears throat> with my fandom. And I have done that. And what a big part of that has been learning to appreciate the sport for the sport, whether or not my team happens to be playing. Once upon a time, I would have told you uh, in great detail, my visceral hatred for the Oakland Athletics or the Houston Astros or the New York Yankees or the Boston Red Sox. Uh, I don't do that uh, anymore, mainly because at any point, any of the players that I claim I don't like on one team can end up on my team. <laughs> and then suddenly I'm rooting for them. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld once famously said, uh, we're not rooting for teams. We're rooting for their laundry, <laughs> the name on the front of the chest. And uh, there's a lot of truth to that. And once I started really appreciating uh, the game itself, even more, and enjoying when a game was played well, even if another player on another team made an amazing play at shortstop, robbing somebody of a hit, or just a, an incredible moment, or an incredible pitch, or something like that, regardless of who was playing, as I learned to enjoy that more, it helped me see more and more of all the things that I am talking about. Right? The the beauty that we can see in the game. Uh, the amazing luck that sometimes can happen in the game. And... Yes, a lot of luck uh, comes from a lot of preparation to be in the right place at the right time uh, to make your own luck. But sometimes there's just incredibly lucky plays. Sometimes there's incredibly brave moments when a, guy, when a player is running after a pop-up that's going to go out of the stands and they run for it and they and pretty much end up right in the stands trying to catch it. There's something about that, that commitment, that, uh, that excitement, that focus that can be really inspiring. And one of the things about baseball is it isn't such nonstop action that you are overwhelmed by it. You have a chance to breathe, you have a chance to take it in, and each moment can feel that much more exciting because there aren't a billion of them in every game. As exciting as that can be sometimes, I think sometimes the quality of a moment can really trump the the quantity of big moments because sometimes they can just get lost in that. Some of the best baseball games I have ever seen in my life were games where it was one nothing at the end. One run was scored. But it had some of the most amazing defensive plays, guys just jumping for, for balls and laying out and crashing into the grass, or great plays on the base paths, or amazing pitches that you just wonder how they seem to defy the laws of physics. Those are some of the best games I've ever seen. And some of the worst games I've ever seen, the sloppiest games I've ever seen, were ones where the ball was just flying out of the yard. Right? The g- Final score was 14-13. to 13. Uh, Some of those are the craziest and they tend to be the most memorable for some people, but that doesn't mean they're always really good games. And to me, that's the great thing is that a great game in baseball can be defined in a million different ways. The same way great moments in life or a great life lived can be defined in a whole bunch of different ways. It doesn't have to all look the same and very rarely does. You know, and When you combine that with the fact that losing is always going to happen in baseball, winning will always happen. And so, therefore, it's investing in the individual moments, and preparing for those individual moments, doing the practice on the outside to become a better hitter or a better fielder or a better pitcher, to be open to correction and guidance, to learn how to count on your teammates, to learn how to accept their criticism but also to accept their support. These are things we all need in life. And if we were not talking about baseball, but we were putting in the context of something else, whether we were talking about the importance of this in a family or the importance of these things in the workplace or importance of these things in how we talk about political issues, nobody would be questioning that at all. And so in that sense, to me, combine all those things together, plus the creativity and the science that's involved in this, uh, in this sport brings all together, I think, so much of what attracts us about life, and then also so much about what life demands from us. If we're going to make it through it, being patient, (laughs) practicing, connecting with one another, learning to be a part of a team, learning to pull our own weight in in a relationship, learning what our best skills are, and what are the areas that we just don't have them. And those might be areas that we can work on, but they also might not be ones that we can ever necessarily master. You know, every once in a while in a Major League Baseball game, a blowout will happen. And the team that's getting blown out usually has gone through all of its pitchers for the day or has already said, we're going to lose this game. So let's just take a position player, somebody who plays left field or somebody who plays first base or catcher, and just put them on the mount. You know, I mean, the idea is for them just to get through it. Right? If you're already getting your head beat in 15 to 2, it's not going to matter if you lose 25 to 2, is the idea. So they put this, you know, an everyday player in, a player who could be a fantastic hitter or a fantastic second baseman. But you watch them on the mound and you just go, oh, there's a reason why you aren't a pitcher. <laughs> right. So even the greatest players in baseball can't do everything. They can't. That's true in other sports as well. Well, what I love is how stark that can be in baseball. And it's such a reminder that in order for baseball to be a game that people enjoy and that people can find success in, it takes a mixture together of a lot of different parts, a lot of different gifts, and a constant challenge. You know, because there is something about standing up there when you're, you know, if the game's on the line and and you're the batter, you want to come through for your team. The more so, the more big, big you get and maybe you're playing for the fan base of a city, the more pressure you can feel in that situation too. And, as I talked about before, law of averages says more often than not, you're probably not going to come through in those moments. Other times you will. So how does that frame your approach? How does that frame your response if things don't go the way you want? How does it frame your response if they do? <laughs> How do you prepare yourself to come off that euphoria, that big moment, and recognize that that moment is already over? To enjoy it and then move on to the next one. Those are all great questions and I wonder how Major League Ball players do it. Because that's a lot of pressure or it can feel like a lot of pressure. And a lot of them will say they tune those things out in the moment. And there's probably a lot of truth to that. Maybe you're so focused that you don't necessarily hear the crowd. That all you're focusing on is that moment, the next pitch that's coming at you, right? Or the next pitch that you're about to throw, and that's all there is. But that takes practice too. (laughs) And that takes commitment to continue with. And it takes emotional maturity to make it through the ups and downs of that process, even from just within one game, never mind 162 of them. And so if baseball is like life and that each thing we do is but one game right, or one small series against the same team, recognizing that doing what we can do to the best of our ability in that moment matters then, and it matters to the larger whole, but we can't play the 162nd game on the day that we're supposed to play the 40th. We can't. We can only play the 40th. And the 40th requires whether we won or lost the 39th, For us to put that aside, to focus on the 40th, and then not concern ourselves really at all with the 41st game. So it takes both the long view, recognizing that it's part of the larger whole, and a focus on being present in this moment. And that's what I love, really, about baseball. And for me, it goes back to, like I said, when I was a kid. The first professional baseball games I went to, I went with my dad. And that is a, a common story for many, uh, many kids who've been to baseball games. They've gone with a parent. And the first professional one I went to was a Triple A baseball game, minor league baseball game in Honolulu. There used to be a Triple A team there. And my dad took me. And I fell in love with the game. I was already playing it on my own. But to see that people could grow up as adults and get to play this was the greatest thing ever. That was the Hawaii Islanders. And then the first major league baseball game he took me to was not long after that. We were visiting family in the Bay Area, and then he took me to an Oakland Athletics game. They played the Minnesota Twins. We sat on the first base side about 15 rows up in the Coliseum, which is where they still play. And uh, they beat the Minnesota Twins 4-2. to Rod Carew, who was the Hall of Famer first baseman for the, for the Twins, had three hits that day, but they still lost. I had a hot dog. I had popcorn. My dad bought me a pennant because I love pennants. I love to hang them on my wall. And I remember taking the BART, the Bay Area Rapid Transit train, to get to the ballpark, to get there and get back. I remember a lot of it. I was seven. (laughs) I'm about to turn 49. And I still remember that day. It was sunny. (laughs) I remember the sounds walking to the ballpark. I remember seeing the players warming up on the field for the first time. I remember the experience of going to my seat and sitting down and and sitting around other people who were there, uh, rooting for the A's that day, some for the Twins. Now certainly I remember that day more than I remember a lot of games. I, I go to a lot of baseball games every year. I can't say I remember every single one of them. But I remember that one. And there are other ones uh, that I recall. And when I'm at a game now, whether it's a you know, just a, a pony league game or a minor league game or little league or, or a big major league game between my team and some rival. I spend a lot of time, actually, uh, in this spot where I recognize I'm doing something that I really love and I'm paying very close attention to the detail. I'm wondering about the preparation. I'm aware of the ups and downs that can happen in a given game. My team might go ahead and then fall behind. They might come from behind. They might just get absolutely destroyed that day. They might actually destroy their, the other team that day. I have no idea going in, but I'm really glad to be there. The worst day I've had at the ballpark, where my team just gets their heads beat in from the very beginning of the game, is better than a lot of days that I've had in other places, just simply because of how much I enjoy the game and I enjoy what it means and I enjoy what I've been able to assign it in my life. I enjoy taking other people games. I, I once took um, some friends of mine from Germany, a, a couple uh, to their first baseball game it was a minor league baseball game in rural Pennsylvania of all places. They knew nothing about the game and so I got to spend an entire game teaching them how the game went and by the time the game was done, it was a day game, they wanted to go buy mitts so I, had to, <laughs> I drove them to the sporting goods store, they bought mitts and the next thing I had to do was teach them how to throw a baseball and then teach them how to hit a baseball and they absolutely loved it. That was fun for me too. You know, So it's all things like that and the associations and the connections. And I remember who's gone to games with me and who hasn't. Some of my best memories, my best moments of connection with the people that I love the most have happened in a ballpark. And for that reason, I'm grateful for it. So what is it for you? If it's not a ballpark, where is it? You know, What is that about? And I would just encourage you to reinvest in it or sit back with it and enjoy it say thanks to it. (laughs) Maybe introduce somebody else to it and see if maybe they can develop an appreciation for it too. Anyway, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, listen to this episode of This Show Is All About You. If you're not a baseball fan, maybe consider going to a game. Maybe there's something you can find out of it. If you are a baseball fan, um, hopefully there was new stuff in here that you found interesting. And if you're somewhere in between go give it a shot among all the, the sports that are out there. Uh, I think in a lot of ways it's the most accessible and it's a, it can be a really relaxing day, uh, relaxing moment if you allow it to be. So anyway, I'm excited about it. I'm actually going to a baseball game this coming weekend. So I'm already looking forward to that. Well, as always, I have a lot of people to thank uh, for this episode. You certainly, first of all, find me on my website, wordsbyjdk.com. And you can follow up with me there. You can ask any questions about this show or about upcoming ones um, or give me some topics that you'd like to hear me talk about. You can also contact me there directly. You can also contact me at Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. You can get this episode or any other episodes wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find them at wordsbyjdk.com. This show is all about you. is produced and distributed by Hubbard Radio Seattle. Eric Ryder is my in-studio producer, editor, and mix master. Many thanks to him. The show is made possible by the generous sponsorship of Airway Science for Kids. Be sure to check them out at airside.org. The original theme music is by Dave Nelson of Lens Group Media. Special thanks for contributing to this episode, and all that went well for me this week has to go to Julia Cannell, Tawny and Dave Santabria, Bruce Bullard, Stephen Crozier, Jay Parker, Jason McGarry, Cesar and Martine Garcia, Phil McCoy, Justin Siegel, Josea Lanier, Seth Mormon, Stacey Heller, Bruce Farmer, Katie Beck, and Eric Crema. Special thanks to the 14-day sleep challenge that I'm doing right now. To the Pacific Northwest summer sun and past season's rain that has so far kept our fire season manageable. To folk artist John Craigie for a hell of a new album. To Carl Eric Fisher for writing the best book I've read in years about addiction. And to whoever invented coconut cream, because that is rapidly becoming a diet staple that makes me feel like a superhero. And to you listeners, of course, thank you. I could not do this for you without you. And finally, as a way to send you off to the rest of the week, let's end with this original haiku. Out at the ball game, we find what we seek from life, one pitch at a time. Chins up, everyone.